Amen. Hey, turn, if you will, to lesson number three. Once again, we are on the hot topic of Islam. Okay, Islam is what we're going to be talking about again tonight. And part two of basically what is going on, how are they making uh, such inroads? As we saw before, uh, uh, Islam uh, is the fastest growing religion on the planet. It's the second largest, might very soon if things don't turn around, become the largest religion on the planet, okay? And we've been taking a look at that. We already saw the history of Islam. Of course, Islam means submission, and a Muslim means a submitted one. Submitted what? To Allah, uh, who is not the same God as the God of the Bible. Again, we'll get into that in even greater detail later at a, in a future study, Lord willing. Uh, but also, we saw where did it all come from? It came from the Bible? Absolutely not. It came from this guy named Muhammad uh, who was in a cave and he supposedly got a revelation from supposedly the angel Gabriel, okay? And apparently it sounds better when you put on a biblical name. But I'm sorry, that was not the angel Gabriel because it contradicts the Bible. God doesn't lie. He does not contradict himself, okay? This is a satanic deception. But that's how it got started. We took a look at the history there in great detail. Uh, even he had reservations about it initially. His family kind of came, oh, just kind of run with it. You know, Allah wouldn't lie to you, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And then we saw, once again, uh, how are they getting so popular? Well, there's three different things that we're taking a look. And we certainly saw with the population statistic, by sheer numbers, they're overtaking literally the planet, not just the United States, up to about 12 million was the latest stat that I saw here in the United States. Uh, Islamization, okay, and that's basically taking over in the country once your population gets there. And we're gonna see that through uh, a couple different things. We're gonna see that again tonight, I wanna reiterate it, through the government, through the court, and through the school system. And we're gonna see some evidence of that again to drill that home. But Islamization and, of course, they all have to rhyme, is a preacher disease. And there's three points. Wow, this is incredible. My life is complete, okay? <laughs> is annihilation, and that basically is by means of force or jihad, uh, what's called. So how are they becoming, and why are they the fastest religion on the planet? Because of populiza popul population, Islamization, and, of course, annihilation, okay? Now, the problem is, again, when we show up, right, you look at uh, church history and Christians when they arrive on the scene. I was just talking about this with somebody today. Uh, Christians usually put an end uh, to evil practices. Did you know it was Christians, by and large, who were putting an end to slavery? Not just here in America, but even in Europe. In fact, Europe was ahead in the United States uh, at that time. That's a good thing, right? Because of the Bible, right? Uh, it was also Christians put to, in the practice, uh, I forget the Indian name for it, but in India, they used to, uh, uh, is it sati, the, the burning of the wives. That when the husband died, the wives had to go up and smoke. She was still alive. Right? That was their practice, and it was Christian missionaries going over there who helped put an end to that. So when you see Christianity going to a culture, by and large, true Christianity anyway, you improve, right? Because that's Christ's way, okay? That's not what we see with this. It is very dangerous. Now, we talk about the Islamization. One thing that they want to uh, enforce is something that's called Sharia law, okay? Now, let me once again, in case you weren't here last week, what is Sharia law? Well, here's what they want to bring to your country, even the United States. Theft is punishable by amputation of the right hand. Chop your hand off, literally. Criticization or denying any part of the Quran, denying Muhammad or denying Allah is punishable by death. A Muslim who becomes a non-Muslim, you are punished by death. A non-Muslim who leads a Muslim away from uh, Islam, you are punished by death. Uh, a non-Muslim man who marries a Muslim woman, you are punished by death. Uh, a man can marry an infant girl and consummate the marriage, uh, nine years old. That's part of it, okay? Uh, women's genitalia can be mutilated. 
a woman can have one husband, but a man can have up to four wives. A man can unilaterally divorce his wife, but she needs to get her husband's consent for a divorce. A man can beat his wife for insubordination. Uh, testimonies of four male witnesses are required to prove rape against a woman under Sharia law. A woman who has been raped cannot testify in court against her rapist. Uh, her testimony in court only allowed in property cases carries half the weight of a man. Uh, a female inherits only half of what the male inherits. A woman cannot, sounds crazy, this is part of it, you cannot drive a car. You cannot speak alone to a man who is not your husband or relative. Meat must be eaten that comes from animals that have been sacrificed to Allah. And of course, we saw the exciting practice, the taqiyya, however you pronounce that, is you are encouraged to lie through your teeth straight into somebody's face just to advance the cause of Islam. So they may say, oh no, that's not us. We're peaceful. They're lying through their teeth. Typically, and they're encouraged to do that just to advance Islam. So you got to uh, not take everything at face value and deal with the facts. Now, once again, we begin taking a look at how are they putting this into our country? How are they getting this into place? Well, because again, our country and countries around the world, it's that phrase, folks. It's not good to talk about all this stuff. You need to be politically what? Correct. Okay. All right. Hey, how, how do you think that would have worked when they had the uh, McCarthy trials with communism? I'm sorry, you guys shouldn't do this. You need to be politically correct. With that, hey, but in our country, this becomes an excuse to basically shut your mouth. Even in danger. So, right? And apparently that's not politically correct to say. Okay, but we need to deal with that. Okay, but because of this political correctness, these guys, especially in this area, are making massive, massive headroads uh, in our country. So we're going to take a look. How far have they advanced uh, in our government? Okay, and again, I'm saving probably a whole study dealing with some people in high offices. So we'll deal with that in greater detail. Okay, and probably a standalone study later, Lord one. But let's take a look at our government. Are they really making inroads to our government, right? Well, let's take a look at a recent prayer in the House. This was actually allowed in the United States government by our own country. Let's take a look at this first one. The prayer will be offered today by our guest chaplain, Iman Hamad Shabli, Islamic Society of Central New Jersey, Monmouth Junction, New Jersey. The peace and the blessings of Allah be upon you. Assalamu alaikum. In the name of Allah, the most gracious the most merciful. Praise be to Allah, the cherisher, the sustainer of the world. The most gracious, the most merciful, master of the day of judgment. Thee do we worship, and thine aid we seek. So as a country, we seek the aid of Allah now? And he's, based on what we've been saying, he's the most merciful? Hey, if that's the case, we're in a heap of trouble. <laughs> what? But this is allowed in our government. Folks, right now, this is how far this has infiltrated our government. Now, as I saw, the second one is with the court system, right? And we talked about last time Sharia law, and they're trying to make inroads, and there's certain states putting up uh, barriers against it uh, in their individual state laws, but although they got an uh, uh, neuter it down to basically you can't even say the word Sharia, whatever, okay, but uh, they're also working way and basically a grassroots movement in smaller arenas, community by community, and getting it passed. Believe it or not, in all places, 
They started doing it in Texas. Okay, let's take a look at that. A group of Muslims in northern Texas has created what may be the first official Sharia law system in the U.S. The Sharia Tribunal in Irving, Texas, is trying to assure Americans they're not planning to follow the type of Sharia law practiced in Muslim countries. In those places, severe punishments are handed out for even small crimes. Women have very few rights, and blasphemy against Muhammad can result in a death sentence. The imam at the mosque and three other Muslim judges are planning to bypass the traditional courts of Texas to handle cases on their own. They'll deal with things like divorce and business disputes. Opponents of Sharia law caution that allowing Sharia courts to operate in the U.S. allows Islamic law to replace U.S. law. It may lead to the creation of Islamic enclaves within the U.S. and will undermine the established U.S. rights of some of the victims. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it will do. But hey, they said, don't worry. We're, this won't be the same Sharia law as, you know, and you know, you heard about on Wednesday nights at sunrise in Vegas. Well, what, what's that practice called? Zakia, Zakia, how do you pronounce that? Right? Yeah. You go ahead and turn some liar, liar pants on fire. That's exactly what you're up to. Folks, you get your foot in the door, but you, and you'll lie through your teeth just to make sure you get your foot in the door. Okay, now the big ones, you're thinking you and I are more adults, middle-aged, and, and older, we're not going to go along with this. You know, we got a, still a good backbone, a, still a decent amount of Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, American patriotism, our national sovereignty. We recognize that. We're not going to put up with this. Well, they're doing the other one. They're coming in. They're training the next generation to go along with this in the school system, right? We've already dealt with, you've heard me many times from the pulpit in the whole school system, uh, what's going on and being taught. It's not just anti-God, anti-Christianity, pro uh globalism, one world government, one world religion, you know, one world economy, all the things, the antichrist kingdom, they're using the school system to get it done, as well as extremely immoral things with homosexuality and all that other stuff, and that this is all in our school. I, I thought it was just reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, the three R's. And apparently that was before they had spelling class because arithmetic doesn't start with the R. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but anyway, what, excuse me, no. And these guys are coming in and they're actually taking over the textbooks and they are promoting the next generation to accept this kind of ruling in our country. Let's take a look at some of that evidence across the United States. The world history textbook in the Florida public school system is raising serious concerns over its alleged Islamic bias. Now, the textbook has been used in ninth grade advanced placement classes in Brevard County schools for the past three years. It is now under review by the school board. Let's take a look inside this book. Now, first, as you can see on the screen, the book has a major chapter on Islam titled Muslim Civilizations. By the way, keep in mind, it has zero chapters on Christianity or Judaism. The chapter goes on to teach about the prophet Muhammad and how he became God's messenger, even describes jihad as a, quote, holy war to defend Islam. Here now with the book in hand and more details on the controversy, Fox News Radio's Todd Stearns. This well, is it, Sean. 36 pages in this textbook dedicated to Islam and the Prophet Muhammad. Not one chapter about Christianity, not one mention, positive mention about Jesus. They say, he, they say that some people believe he may be the Savior, but they declare definitively that Muhammad is God's messenger. Public school. You said they're defining jihad, interpreting as a holy war to defend Islam. That's like they're right. the victims. 
Exactly. But, As a matter of fact, I mean, through the entire chapter, Sean, I mean, Islam is, de is defended. They talk about how wonderful uh, Islam is to women. I mean, you think that they were having Victoria's Secret stores over there, uh, I mean, by, by reading this And uh, the women who can't drive or go to school. That's or, right. Or the women who are stoned, uh, who've, been, who've been brutally assaulted and murdered. None of that is mentioned here in this book. Or the women under Sharia that uh, need four male eyewitnesses to prove rape. But this is bigger than just Brevard County. Sean, when I did my original story, we started getting emails from all over the country, parents saying they had similar issues. And we understand that a survey, a study has been done by the Citizens for National Security, and they tell me that at least 80 textbooks that are in use right now are, are filled with Muslim bias. This is happening all across the country. Rocky Mountain High School, Fort Collins, uh, Colorado. They had a cultural club in the school. They led the entire student body in the Pledge Allegiance on Monday, said entirely in Arabic. And that included a portion of the pledge where we normally say in English, one nation under God. Instead of God, they use the word Allah. And they say that they were doing this uh, not to promote the Muslim Brotherhood or the Islamic faith, but uh, again, it's this effort to be culturally diverse. That's the buzzword they're using. Mm -hmm. uh, I would assume some people might have a little bit of a problem with that. Uh, District in Illinois dropping Veterans Day as a holiday. That's news to me. Why are they doing that? So they can celebrate an Islamic holiday, Gretchen. This is in Skokie, Illinois. Now, the boys and girls are going to get the day off. I talked to the school district yesterday, but the teachers are not. And the reason why is they're only allowed a certain number of days off. So uh, they're getting rid of Veterans Day as a holiday for teachers and replacing it with this Islamic holiday. A school in Massachusetts took students to a mosque, which I guess would be fine for a field trip, but it was misrepresented? Oh, it certainly was. They were taking the kids, middle school kids, to uh, this mosque for an architectural observation and tour. But instead, when they got there, they actually separated the boys and the girls. They took the boys to Muslim prayers and the girls were uh, were set aside and had their own private discussions. The school later apologized and said, oops, sorry, but you know what, we're hearing a lot of these apologies after the fact. There is an organization called the Institute on Religious and Civic Values. They have an advisor. They were an academic advisor to this book. Now, you might say that seems like a fairly normal organization. Innocuous. They changed their name. They used to be known as the Council on Islamic Education. Pretty, pretty amazing. Where's the ACLU? Where are liberals that don't want any religion or the, the mention of Jesus or prayer yeah. in schools? Yeah, cue the crickets. Uh, look, you put baby Jesus in the school play, the ACLU's filing a lawsuit. Uh, you, you have teachers saying grace, as they did it to one school in, in the Florida panhandle. They're threatened with jail. So there was a school in Texas where cheerleaders were told, we covered this actually, they couldn't put Bible verses on, right. on their a teacher in New Jersey was fired for giving a student a Bible? Tell me about that That's one. right. This uh, teacher, a member of the Gideons, uh, a, a child asked for a copy of a Bible. The teacher gave him the copy. The teacher was fired just a few weeks ago. What's interesting, in Russia, you can give kids Bibles in schools. Here in the United States, Christians can't do that anymore. Very interesting. North Carolina school ordered a child to remove the word God from a poem she had written. A little girl wrote a Veterans Day poem in honor of her grandfathers who served in the war. She had a passing reference to God. The school district ordered her to remove that word. But maybe if she uh, used the word Allah, it would have been appropriate. But this is why I wanted to give you a little taste. We talked a little bit about this, but I wanted you to see some of the evidence of what's going on in our country, folks, that we're being taken over, okay, with this ideology, and it's a dangerous issue.
All right, it's not politically correct to say that, but that's the facts, and we're going to get even deeper tonight. But they're doing it with the population, and what we just saw with the Islamization, with the government, the courts, and the school system, little by little, lying to their teeth, okay, being very sneaky about it, as you saw it, with the name changes and things of that nature, and even when they're confronted with the facts, oh no, that's not really what it's about, when that's exactly uh, what it is about. Now, let's continue on. The Islamization of America is accelerating, and in tandem with the spread of Sharia law in America's courts, and in the media, the political and educational uh, uh, systems, as we just saw, it's gaining momentum and confidence, and there is agreement that it will continue. Now, let's go back just for a second on this population issue, all right? How are they getting people here in the United States? So we saw it certainly by the birth rate, but they're also getting a lot of converts. You go, well, who in their right mind in America would ever convert to this? Well, they're using a certain sector of society to join their gang from prison. Listen to this. Uh, Islam's growth in American prisons is particularly troubling. Uh, about 80% of Americans who convert to a religion while in prison become Muslims. 80%. Which now means 20% of the American prison population is Muslim. One in every five. The conversion rate is especially high among African-American inmates. Okay. Uh, Chris has got some cool information. We're probably going to do an interview with him uh, dealing with how uh, Islam is even being used in the hip-hop community and to, to promote that through music as well. Uh, so if you make it to prison, hey, natural slide, unfortunately. Uh, even more troubling is Islamic groups, including uh, Muslim Brotherhoods, Council on American Islamic Relations, or CARE, you may have seen that in the media, C-A-I-R, have penetrated the highest levels of the U.S. government. Listen to this. The White House now has a White House Muslim advisor who has a counterpart Muslim advisor at the U.S. Department of Justice, the FBI, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, whose senior fellow Mohammed Elbaberi, whatever, recently declared USA is a, quote, Islamic country. Now, this should be create such a huge outward, it's not even ridiculous. Let me put it back again, back to another historical time period. Uh, the McCarthy era, if you guys are familiar with that. Hold your question, please. Uh, uh, McCarthy period, uh, in, if you could uh, remember that time frame when they were going to look for communists and they were concerned about communism during the whole, okay. Imagine if this came out in the news during that period. Hey, everyone, just wanted to announce to you uh, the good news that the White House now has a communist advisor. And they also have a personal advisor for the U.S. Department of Justice. They have a personal communist advisor for the FBI. And, of course, it wasn't in function back then. But a U.S. Department of Homeland Security also has their advisor. And one of their senior fellows have made the announcement that the United States of America is a communist nation. What would happen? People would go nuts. Now, you can make a case that, hey, maybe we're already headed that way, but we don't call it communism. We call it socialism. That's a whole other thing. Okay. Uh, but still, can you imagine that? And yet, this is what's going on in the highest uh, places around the country. Now, what it's leading to, when you take a look at the invasion with the population, even joining with the folks, unfortunately, from jail, getting a huge population uh, influx from that, uh, you got this whole technique called Islamization through the government, the courts, and the schools. It is leading to develop where you're ultimately wanting to go, and that is to use force. Okay? And the media is just now finally starting to get on this, Okay, and catch on this because of what's going on over there in uh, the Middle East area, and that's with a group called ISIS, right? And as crazy as it sounds, they're finally admitting, hey, wait a second, the Muslims here in the United States are wanting to join these guys. They surely wouldn't do that here, would they? But here's just one news report talking about how these guys now in America are openly wanting to go join the force. Let's take a look.
A new report by Congress says more than 250 Americans have attempted to join ISIS. One in four is from Minnesota, many of them former refugees. Jamie Yukas examines why that state has become a fertile ground for terror groups. No, no, no. 18-year-old Dahir Ali is exactly who terrorist groups like ISIS are looking to recruit. He's young, Muslim, and often feels like an outsider. People come up to me and say, you're this, you're that, you're a terrorist. He grew up in the Cedar Riverside community in Minneapolis, which has the largest Somali population in the country. Many came as refugees in the 1990s. The unemployment rate here is 21 percent, three times the state average. And an alarming number of young Somali men from this neighborhood have left to join extremist groups. Since 2007, two dozen have joined Al-Shabaab in Somalia. One of those calls comes too late. They say, Mom, I called, I joined the terrorist group. I will see you in heaven. Currently, five Somali men from Minnesota are awaiting trial, accused of trying to join terror group ISIS. Scott, there are at least 15 other cases being investigated. Slowly but surely, little by little, inch by inch. But don't worry, I know this sounds kind of weird, but American citizens who are Muslims or joining other Muslims in the jihad to support ISIS won't happen here, though. Man, if you believe that, I got some swamp land. John, how much is that swamp land by your house? We're going to have to make a killing on it. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> okay. Excuse me, folks. That's where it's headed. Okay. Now, what most people don't realize, it's much further along than you think. I'm just going to expose one. You can check this out yourself. Okay, this is from where I used to pastor uh, up in New York. Okay. It's called Islamburg, and it's up in New York. And there's several of these centers around the United States, folks. It's not just in Minnesota. Oh, did you catch where that was at? Minnesota. Whereas we saw last time was huge populations where towns are being taken over. Minnesota, so now what's coming out of there? It's the next step, because again, you got your population, Islamization, and eventually what's your ultimate goal? We gotta take over and we will use force. We'll get to that again in a second. But let me tell you about Islamburg. It's located in rural upstate New York. It's about a 70-acre underground bunkered paramilitary Islamic compound, yes, in the United States. It's best known, Islamburg is best known among 35, it's just one of 35 such compounds ranging in size from 25 to 300 acres that already dot 22 states across the United States. That's reassuring, okay? It was built three decades ago and it was, it's uh, still owned by a guy named Jamat al-Fukra uh, and was inspired by its leader, Saeed uh, Mubarak Ali Shah Ghulani. Now this Jamat guy, uh, is the Pakistani Islamic group uh, responsible for a string of murders, bombings, and other terrorist attacks, listen, across the world, including the United States. And you got your own little enclave up in New York, and this is being allowed? See, that's for a whole other study, Lord willing. Why in the world is this being done? And I think it's being done on purpose. What do you want to have an excuse for martial law or who knows what else? Because you're creating a crisis, man. Okay? And it's already exploding in Europe, and we're living in la-la land if we think it's not going to happen here. Okay? But anyways, that's what it is. So uh, they also, it's a chapter in America calls itself Muslims of America, or MOA, okay? if you see that in the news, and actively recruits at mosques, prisons, where African-American inmates are especially targeted. Uh, this Saeed guy, okay, uh, who was its leader originally, uh, is the same man whose Al-Qaeda links, uh, remember that Daniel Berg guy, that Wall Street uh, reporter guy uh, went to go interview. Uh, he was be uh, beheaded. 
Okay, this guy, Saeed, uh, is, uh, uh, the police arrested him for his murder. So this is the same connection there. Uh, Islamberg has this thing called the International Quranic, as in the Quran, Open University. And it holds public relations, quote, public relation events to project a non-threatening image to the non-Muslims outside. It's okay, we're safe in here. You're safe with us in Right? So they admit, once again, it's just a smoke stream. Away from their eyes, however, uh, Islamburg, again, which is located near a reservoir that supplies most of New York City's drinking water, uh, and the other MOA compounds in America, train and recruit in firearms usage, bomb making, and guerrilla warfare. In fact, this Saeed guy uh, declared in a recruiting video, not intended for Muslim audiences, quote, we give our recruits specialized training in guerrilla warfare. We are at present establishing training camps. You can easily reach us at the Open Quranic offices in upstate New York or in Canada or in South Carolina or in Pakistan. Thank you and have a nice day. No, he didn't say that part. Uh, but what? So they even admit it. So why in the world would our government allow this to go on on purpose? Boop, boop, boop. That's for a future study in case you're wondering what that announcement means. Uh, but let's keep, uh, keep going. It gets even worse. Okay, what can you expect if this begins to take over your country. Well, we know what's gonna come because we see what's happening to Europe and we're just seeing the beginning stages of it. Now, we already saw last time the Muslims in America right now, you, they're not only go, joining ISIS, as we just saw, the news is finally catching up to that one, okay? Uh, but we saw 58% of Muslims here in America uh, do not believe that uh, we should have free uh, speech, okay? You speak out against Islam, Muhammad, etc. That shouldn't be allowed, but also it's around the world. Britain, 62% of British Muslims also say that they are for denying free speech. Al Jazeera, if you're familiar with that news agency, they put out a poll, a poll on their website, and there was, uh, uh, it was tens of thousands, 38,000 responses thus far at the, at the time of this uh, article. And uh, they just asked in Arabic to get the Muslim response, okay, Middle Eastern response, uh, if they supported ISIS. It came back, 81% did, okay? Uh, Saudi Arabia, 92% of Saudis say ISIS conforms to Islamic law, okay, ISIS, right? They said that it conforms to the values of Islam and Islamic law. So how can you say, oh no, that's not what we believe when the 92% said, yeah, this is ultimately where you're headed. See ISIS, that's where you're headed. 92, they admit it, okay? This is what you get when you follow Islamic law. 38% uh, of American Muslims say ISIS beliefs are correct. This is in the United States of America. Half of the Muslims in Britain support ISIS, okay? Uh, and uh, so they're wanting to do that too. And then again, back to the Sharia law, okay? More than half of the U.S. Muslims polled believe that they, uh, if they were given a choice between American law and Sharia law, over half of the Muslim population in the United States said Sharia hands down. So this is their intention. Their intention is not to come here to assimilate. Their intention is to come and to take over. One-fifth of Muslims in the U.S. approve of, listen, violence to enforce Sharia. Because they say, well, okay, well, fine. Maybe just like in Texas, we'll let them have their little bubble. It's not about that, folks. It's about everybody, including the non-Muslim, will submit. What's Islam mean? Submit. What's a Muslim? A submitted one. You will submit to the law 
of Allah, but they approve of force, violent force, in order to institute that in the country, and they want it not just in the United States, their goal is worldwide. Uh, Britain, 28% of British Muslims want Britain to become an Islamic state, and 40% of British Muslim students, notice the impact of the educational system, 40% also want Sharia. Canada, listen to this, this is going global. Canada, 62% of Muslims want Sharia in Canada. When I was up there preaching, Reed and I and Debbie are up there, Mario, Mario, was it? remember that? Dude, that was a good cow, wasn't it? Canada cow? Even for Canada cow, right? But we was up there uh, preaching, and there was a guy that at the table there we were talking about, and he was talking about, he literally, they, I think they just barely staved it off in one area community, and he was working against this thing. And he said the biggest thing was getting people educated. People had no idea. Now, once the, he said they got it educated with the facts, not just trying to freak people out to freak them out, but here's the facts, he said, bang, it quickly got shut down. He says, but we almost didn't make it because you got deadlines, they're going to pass it through and all this stuff. But they were wanting to institute that in this area, okay? But, but he had to work his tail off as fast as he could and just getting the information out, kind of like what we're doing, right? All because of this, politically correctness. People are living in a dreamland. They're being lied to. They don't realize what is being built from within and is being foisted upon us. Okay, and that was in Canada. But 62% of Muslims, they want that in Canada. Denmark, 46.1, feel that Danish law must be based on Sharia. Listen to this quote. The Danes assumed Muslims would integrate and adapt to the Danish culture. <laughs> but Muslims can never assimilate since the religion will not permit assimilation with others. Okay, and again, they want this Sharia law on uh, non-Muslims. 45% of Sharia supporters disagreed that it should be only to Muslims. They want it for everybody. Okay, now, so that's bad enough, the Sharia law and the force, and here's what we're gonna do if you don't do what we say and you don't submit like the rest of us, okay? But what also comes in uh, is not just with this force, but obviously with force comes violence, okay? And again, we're just looking at the things, I'm just doing statistics in the United States and around the world, what happens when you let this get a foothold? Okay, here's what you're inviting uh, to your country. Uh, 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 this is a Pew Global uh, statistic, 68% of Palestinian Muslims say suicide attacks against civilians in defense of Islam are justified. 43% of Nigerian Muslims, 38% of Lebanese Muslims say the same thing. This is justified, right? Even suicide bombing, this is what you gotta do to get to the end goal. If you gotta lie to get your way there, if you gotta do the population, if you gotta do the Islamization, if you gotta use force, hey, it's all justified because the end goal is we're taking over the planet. That's what we're, quote, told to do uh, as a Muslim, according uh, to the Quran. Uh, now, you just think, well, at least they're over here to help out the economy and stuff. Listen to these. I was really surprised about this. It's gonna, it bankrupts your, it destroys everything it touches. Welfare, listen to this. U.S. statistics on Muslims on welfare. 91.4% of Middle Eastern refugees accepted to the U.S. between 2008 and 2013 received food stamps. 73.1% were on Medicaid or refugee medical assistance, and 68.3% were on cash welfare in the United States. Does that help? No. Canada on welfare. Listen to this. This is real sneaky. Somebody figured out a good game. In 2008, the Toronto Sun reported, quote, that hundreds, not a couple, hundreds of greater Toronto area Muslim men in polygamous marriages, listen, some of them have a harem of wives, are receiving welfare and social benefits for each of their wives thanks to the city and the province. 
So they got a good gig going. Who needs to work? I got four wives or who knows how many wives. Each one of them are on welfare. I'm sitting here like a fat cat. It's bankrupting the country. Netherlands, 50 to 70% of Muslim asylum seekers are permanently on welfare. Norway, uh, according to a universal Oslo study, non-Western immigrants, Middle Eastern refugees, okay, are 10 times as likely to be on social assistance as native, uh, native uh, Norwegians, 10 times. And listen to this, Sweden's statistics on Muslim welfare, listen, approximately 7 billion every year uh, is being spent uh, on uh, the Muslim welfare and has greatly contributed to bringing the Swedish welfare state to the brink, brink of bankruptcy. So is that good? Is that a benefit? Is that, yeah, come on over. Without, no, that's not good. Now, the one thing I could salvage from this, you learn something new every day. My life, I don't know if you could tell it by the smile, is complete. I learned something today. Did you know? You know what they call the currency, okay, in Sweden? It's called the crone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just sat there in the office today and I just, I felt like weeping. <laughs> it was awesome. And plural form is kroner. <laughs> yeah, seven billion kroners. Woo! Right on, let's close the prayer. No, we got more to go. Okay. Uh, but anyway, that's not good for your country. Again, everything it touches, folks, it's not good. Why would we purposely bring this in? I mean, even if you don't want to look at all the other violent things and all that stuff, why would you want to do that to your country? Might be an agenda. Now, it gets even worse, okay? Now, what also seems to come, uh, and this is a pattern. I'm just dealing with statistics. I'm not making this up. I'm not being biased, right? Crime. Horrid crimes. Listen to this. In Denmark, the crime rates show that individuals from Muslim countries make up eight of the top nine places on the list. Eight of the top nine. Okay? And it shows that uh, uh, Somalis were sentenced for crimes including innumerable sexual assaults almost ten times more often than those of the regular citizenship. Uh, more than half of all convicted rapists in Denmark have an immigrant background from that area. Norway, listen to this. Something else that Muslim, the direct quote, Muslim immigration appears to have brought to Norway is what some here call, this is their words, not mine, is what's being called a rape epidemic. Rape epidemic, right? Like a disease spreading, it's an epidemic. Listen to this. Recent police statistics show that in the capital city of Oslo, 100%, 100% of assault rapes between strangers were committed by immigrant non-Western males. And nine out of 10 of their victims were native Norwegian women. Uh, Kristen Spitznagel is a therapist who has counseled some of the rape victims, has been attacked in the Norwegian media saying what many will not, because she's not being politically correct. She's saying that, quote, the assault rape problem is primarily Muslim men raping non-Muslim women. And any woman, here's their justification, who does not dress modestly and wear the Muslim scarf could be considered by some Muslim, Muslim men to be fair game. Here's the news reporting this behavior. This is going a rape epidemic. Watch this. Something else that Muslim immigration appears to have brought to Norway is what some here call a rape epidemic. Recent police statistics showed that in the capital of Oslo, 100% of assault rapes between strangers were committed by immigrant non-Western males, and 9 out of 10 of their victims were native Norwegian women. 
Some blonde Norwegian women have reportedly begun dyeing their hair black, and many travel only in groups. Kristen Spitznogel is a therapist who has counseled some of the rape victims, and she's been attacked in the Norwegian media for saying what many will not, that the rape problem is primarily Muslim men raping non-Muslim women, and any woman who does not dress modestly and wear the Muslim headscarf could be considered by some Muslim men as fair game. For them, I think the hijab is a symbolic uh, marker which um, separates the submissive, proper Muslim women from what they see as the Norwegian horse. But when I say horse, I'm really just referring to their own words. This is what they told the journalists. Spitznogel says Norway's left-wing establishment has been blaming the victims because the whole notion that Islamic culture is dangerous to women is very politically incorrect here. As in other European cities, parts of Oslo are now Muslim zones and may be subject to Sharia law or to the rules of local imams. When we interviewed Walid in June, no one had any idea that a crazed gunman would start killing people because of Muslim immigration. But Al-Kubaisi made what now feels like a chilling prediction. You think there will be a backlash, a reaction against immigrants? Clash of civilization. It will happen. Civil war? We don't know. I am not a prophet. But something will happen. Yeah. Maybe it will be a civil war. Maybe things will go absolutely crazy and nuts. And then you get an excuse for something to go on. But that's not the only country. Sweden. Sweden has now the second highest number of rapes in the world. In the world. Statistics now suggest that one out of every four Swedish women will be raped. Can you imagine that here in the United States? Hey, young girls growing up, just want to give you the good news. One out of four of you will be raped. Why would you invite this on purpose to your country? Uh, Sweden has imported huge numbers of Muslim immigrants with a catastrophic effect from countries like Afghanistan, Iraq, and Somalia. In Stockholm, there was an average of five rapes a day. Stockholm has gone from a Swedish city to a city that is one-third immigrant and is between one-fifth and one-quarter Muslim now. United Kingdom. I could be showing you video clips all of whatever, but in the United Kingdom in 2012, it emerged that over a thousand mostly white young girls in the northern England town of Rotterdam were systematically uh, groomed, trafficked, and beaten and sexually abused by rape gangs consisting of mainly Pakistani Muslim men. And the Labor Government Council and the police covered up this horror because they were afraid, listen, of being characterized as being racist or politically incorrect. There's that word again, which apparently has become the thing that shuts your mouth. This just, you can't say nothing and somehow, excuse me? What's wrong with sounding the alarm? Danger, Danger World Robinson worked on a science fiction show, right? Right, Paul Revere got to do it. British are coming, the British are coming, right? Since when has it become wrong to warn people? It's crazy, folks, but that's how we've been brainwashed. Oh, can't say nothing, and it just continues to march forward as well. Now, if you think it's not coming to America, you're wrong. Didn't take me very long, found it very quickly because there's a whole bunch already out there, mostly from the independent news groups of the individual communities, but this kind of rape is already starting to take place here in America. Here's just one. New documents say the man accused of kidnapping and sexually assaulting a gas station worker uttered Allah Akbar during the assault, which means God is the greatest in Arabic. Thank you for joining us tonight. Stephanie is off. 
Abdul Rahman Ali refused to show up at court today, so the judge set bail at $1 million without him. He's facing five felony charges, including rape, kidnapping, assault, and terrorizing. Today, we learned new disturbing details about what happened Wednesday at a Mapleton gas station. Valley News Team's crime and safety reporter, Nicole Johnson, has more. An employee at this gas station tells police she was working when a man came in trying to hug and kiss her behind the counter. Another employee working says she saw Abdul Rahman Ali grab the victim, calling her his wife and pulling her into the women's bathroom. The victim says Ali started to rape, slap, hit and kick her. And when she tried to get out, she says Ali repeatedly threw her against the wall, knocking her to the ground. Others working called 911. And when investigators pulled up, they kicked the door in, finding Ali naked and the victim beaten and crying. She told police Ali was speaking during the assault. She wasn't sure if it was English or another language, but she says she understood one thing he said. According to court documents, Ali uttered Allah Akbar, which in Arabic means God is the greatest. Well, really, Allah is the greatest is what's going on. That's here in the United States, okay? But it gets even worse than that. Uh, here's other things that you can uh, expect to come if you uh, allow this unchecked. Uh, uh, this, is, this is basically the statistics regarding the percentage uh, of population of Muslims in your society and what they're responsible for. 20% are responsible for rioting, sporadic killings, burning of Christian churches and Jewish synagogues. You don't think that's going to come? Okay. 40%, they're responsible for 40% of chronic terror attacks. 60%, they're responsible for the persecution of non-Muslims, period. Sporadic ethnic cleansing, Sharia law, tax upon infidels, and 80%, okay, are responsible for daily intimidation, violence, state-run ethnic cleansing, okay, genocide with the aim of pushing a 100% Islamic nation. Now, this statistic says, although... One to two percent are peaceful. There you go. Peaceful. Right? One to two percent. Here it is. You can come look at it later on these statistics. One to two percent are peaceful. Right? So the bulk of them are what? They follow what the Quran teaches. That's what it teaches. And you don't get peace. Right? But what do we mean told in the media? Oh, no, that's just a small amount. The bulk is peaceful, but that's not what the statistics show. Okay, it's a bunch. It's the opposite. Now, but I'll play with that. I want to play with that because I want to show you a really nice response to this, right? Because that's being played on us as well. Hey, listen, that's just those extremists. That's not the bulk of Muslims. That's not what Islam teaches. Yes, it is, but that's what we're being told, right? And then they will say, you know, uh, so you shouldn't lump all those other guys into this when it's just, you know, a small minority that's doing this. Well, let's, let's explore that. Let's just say that all, and again, we just saw one to 2% peaceful. Okay, so the bulk is not. But let's just say, let's run with what the media says. They basically want to give us the idea that the Shiites, you know, 15, 20%, whatever, uh, different statistics are out there, uh, are the ones that are the bad guys, so to speak, right? The bad ones right? It's the Sunnis and the other ones, the Sufis and the other ones. Those are the more peaceful ones. Again, I disagree with that statistic, but that's what we're being told. But even if it was just the, uh, a percentage of the Shiites, okay, that we're really pushing for that, is that still not cause for alarm? 
when you look at the population of how many Muslims are on the world. That's a huge chunk. Okay, and the problem is a minority can still take power and become the majority and enforce it on the rest. That's what we've learned in history, and if something doesn't change, it's going to happen again. Okay, this lady has the best response I've ever seen uh, to that accusation. Don't worry, that's just a small minority. We don't need to worry about it. But let's take a look at that. My name is Saba Ahmed. I'm a law student at American University. I am here to ask you a simple question. I know that we portray Islam and all Muslims as bad, but there's 1.8 billion Muslim followers of Islam. We have 8 million plus Muslim Americans in this country, and I don't see them represented here. But my question is, how can we fight an ideological war with weapons? How can we ever end this war? The jihadist ideology that you talk about, it's an ideology. How can you ever win this thing if you don't address it ideologically? Great question. I am so glad you're here, and I am so glad you brought that up because it gives us an opportunity to answer. What I find so amazing is since the beginning of this panel, which we are here about Benghazi attack against our people, not one person mentioned Muslims. We are here against Islam or we're launching war against Muslims. We are here to discuss how four Americans died and what our government is doing. We were not here to bash Muslims. You were the one who brought up the issue about most Muslims, not us. And since you brought it up, allow me to elaborate with my answer. There are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world today. Of course not all of them are radicals. The majority of them are peaceful people. The radicals are estimated to be between 15 to 25 percent according to all intelligence services around the world. That leaves 75% of them peaceful people. But when you look at 15 to 25% of the world Muslim population, you're looking at 180 million to 300 million people dedicated to the destruction of Western civilization. That is as big of the United States. So why should we worry about the radicals 15 to 25%? Because it is the radicals that kill. Because it is the radicals that behead and massacre. When you look throughout history, when you look at all the lessons of history, most Germans were peaceful. Yet the Nazis drove the agenda. And as a result, 60 million people died. Almost 14 million in concentration camps. 6 million were Jews. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at Russia, most Russians were peaceful as well. Yet the Russians were able to kill 20 million people. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at China, for example, most Chinese were peaceful as well. Yet the Chinese were able to kill 70 million people. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. When you look at Japan prior to World War II, most Japanese were peaceful as well. Yet Japan was able to butcher its way across Southeast Asia, killing 12 million people, mostly killed with bayonets and shovels. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. On September 11th in the United States, we had 2.3 million Arab Muslims living in the United States. It took 19 hijackers, 19 radicals to bring America down to its knees, destroy the World Trade Center, attack the Pentagon, and, and kill almost 3,000 Americans that day. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. So for all our powers of reasons and us talking about moderate and peaceful Muslims, I'm glad you're here. But where are the others speaking out? And since you are the only Muslim representative... 
Muslim representative in here, you took the limelight instead of speaking about why our government, and I assume, are you an American? You're an American citizen. So as an American citizen, you sat in this room and instead of standing up and saying a question or asking something about our four Americans that died and what our government is doing to correct the problem, you stood there to make a point about peaceful, moderate Muslims. I wish you brought 10 with you to question about what, how we can hold our government responsible. It is time we take political correctness and throw it in the garbage where it belongs and stop calling it Yeah. <laughs> and that's if you just go with that smaller number between 15 to 25%. And you still think that there's a larger quantity that's not. I disagree with that. But even if you went that, that's still a major mega concern that we need to deal with. But what'd she even say? What's the common theme, whether it's the United States or America? What is killing this? Political correctness, which to me has become the buzzword, keep your mouth shut, we're gonna do this anyway. And folks, it's high time that we do what she says, chuck this in the trash, stop being chicken livers, and get the truth out so that people can get equipped, okay? Now, Lord willing, we're out of time. We're gonna see a special video next week and we're going to kind of look kind of the nail in the coffin, if you will. Uh, and what happens when uh, this officially takes over your country? How bad does it get? Well, it's been going on actually in another country, which the media by and large has been very silent on, and that country is called Sudan. And over 2 million people have been, it's a modern-day holocaust, uh, have been murdered, hacked. It's horrid, what's, and it's still going on today. Okay, over there, and we're going to take a look at that. Then we're going to get into some more of their theology and maybe even follow up a little bit on this uh, Islamic question because I don't know if you've been challenged yet as a Christian, but this whole immigration issue is a big thing and it's been thrown back into our face as a Christian. Well, you're not, Christians are supposed to love their enemies. And if you love them, then you shouldn't object to them coming over here. We'll explore that on a biblical basis. What's the best way to love your enemy biblically? And is immigration the answer and the cure-all? No, it's not. And we're going to look at that at a couple different angles. But uh, we'll get to that some other time. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? 
Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. 
there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.